What? 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 I know how we can run everybody out of Rock Creek. How? We'll kill the firstborn male child in every household. Too Jewish. Shalom and welcome to the Two Jewish Radio Show with Rabbi Sam Cohen and Friends, a weekly serving of everything Jewish. We'll have a great hour together today of news, music, comedy, and conversation. In addition to our guest interview, we'll also have a visit from our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Please email your comments to us at twojewishradio18 at gmail.com or visit us on the web at twojewishradio.com. The opinions of the host and guests on Two Jewish are their own and not those of the radio station. Two Jewish is paid for by Two Jewish Radio Programs and Podcasts, Tucson, Arizona. And now, here's Rabbi Sam Kohan and Two Jewish. Shalom. It's Rodeo Weekend here in Tucson, Arizona, in the real Southwest where I live, which means today we'll highlight Jews of the Old West, the Wild West, much of it experienced right here in the Anglo capital of the Sonoran Desert, Tucson, a short drive from Tombstone, site of the famous OK Corral Battle. That was between Wyatt Earp and his brothers and the notorious cowboy gang of the Clantons and the McClory's. While none of those folks were Jewish, Wyatt Earp's longtime common-law wife of some 46 years, Josephine Marcus, was. And there were Jews in the Old West, peddlers, of course, but also sheriffs and outlaws. One of Tucson's original mayors, elected two years after the O.K. Corral fight, Charles Moses Strauss, was Jewish. And there's a famous photograph of him and his son holding shotguns. Now, if you do go to visit Tombstone, it's a tourist trap, but a tourist trap with actual history. Don't miss the picturesque graveyard with its colorful inscriptions on the outlaws' graves, and then walk down the hill to the Jewish section of the Tombstone Cemetery, where you can see the final resting places of some of the Jews in that silver-mining boomtown of the Wild West of the late 19th century. To play us in this morning in the spirit of the Old West, here's our classic Rodeo Week play-in about the fictionalized version of Jews in the Old West, The Ballad of Irving. He was short and fat and rode out of the West with a Mogan David on his silver vest. He was mean and nasty right clear through, which was kind of weird because he was yellow too. They called him Irving. Big Irving. Big Short Irving. Big Short Fat Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. He came from the old barn mitzvah spread with a 10-gallon yarmulke on his head. He always followed his mother's wishes. Even on the range, he used two sets of dishes. Big fat Irving. Big sissy Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. One hundred and forty-one could draw faster than he, but Irving was looking for one forty-three. Walked in the Soul Saloon like a man insane and ordered three fingers of two cents plain. Irving, big fat Irving, big sport Irving, 
the 142nd fastest gun in the West. The James boys was coming on a train at first son and the town said, Irving, we need your gun. Well, that train pulled in at the break of dawn. Irving's gun was there, but Irving was gone. Irving. Big fat Irving. Big help Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. Finally, Irving got three slugs in the belly. It was right outside the frontier deli. He was sitting there twirling his gun around, and Butterfingers Irving gunned himself down. Irving. Big fat Irving. Big dum dum Irving. Big dum dum dead Irving. The 142nd fastest gun in the West. That was the Two Jewish Silly Classic Ballad of Irving for Rodeo Weekend here in Tucson. Now, a serious issue. Two concerts by Matis Yahu, the American Jewish reggae singer, famous for his peace anthem One Day and his Hanukkah song Miracle, and a past guest of Two Jewish. Two of Matis Yahu's shows were canceled last week after pro-Palestinian protesters targeted the venues he was set to perform in. One of them right here in Tucson. Meow Wolf in Santa Fe, New Mexico, canceled one concert last week, and then the Rialto Theater here in Tucson canceled a second Matisyahu concert after first saying that it would not do so. Both venues said it was staffing shortages and quote-unquote safety concerns. Both were targeted by pro-Palestinian terrorist protesters who said Matisyahu's record of performing for Israeli soldiers and pro-Israel groups in the U.S. should disqualify him from appearing. Matisyahu offered to pay for additional staffing and security at the Rialto, but was refused. They make this cancellation because they are either anti-Semitic or have confused empathy for the Palestinian people with hatred for someone like me, who builds empathy for both Israelis and Palestinians, Matisyahu said. It truly is a sad day when dialogue with those you disagree with is abandoned for hate-mongering and silencing artistic expression. Matisyahu played a free show here in Tucson instead for hundreds of people. The concert's cancellation adds to a growing number of incidents in which Jewish and pro-Israel athletes and celebrities have had appearances cut, scuttled, threatened to be canceled, or something like that, amid criticism by pro-Palestinian activists. This is more than four months into the Israel-Hamas war that began with the atrocities of October 7th, when Hamas-Palestinian terrorists brutally attacked Israel, perpetrating many war crimes of rape, torture, murder, and kidnapping. Matis Yahu was known early in his career for balancing his reggae-infused music and his Orthodox Jewish lifestyle. He has since changed some of his Jewish practices, but remains popular among both Jewish and non-Jewish audiences. His 2008 hit, One Day, preaching peace and envisioning a world without war or bloodshed, is well known after appearing in movies, commercials, and as a theme song during the 2010 Winter Olympics. 
Back in 2015, Matisyahu was briefly removed from a Spanish music festival when he refused a demand from organizers that he endorse Palestinian statehood. After a brief uproar, he was reinstated in the program, and eight pro-Palestinian activists were prosecuted but not convicted on hate crimes charges. Matisyahu appeared at the March for Israel in Washington, D.C. last November. He told the Jewish Journal of L.A. that before October, his music had become less Jewish in content, but after the attack, he felt this strange pull back to being Jewish and feeling Jewish, of wanting to be connected to other Jews in Israel, speaking out about what's happening, writing songs about it. Matisyahu posted a video of himself draped in an Israeli flag performing one day for Israeli soldiers during a recent visit when he toured a kibbutz brutally attacked by Hamas on October 7th, met with relatives of Israeli hostages in Gaza, and performed a benefit concert with Israeli pop star Netta. The Tucson Coalition for Palestine cited video from Matisyahu's Israel trip, telling its supporters earlier last week they should protest the Rialto show. An emailed script was distributed by the group. It said the video is evidence of the artist's long-standing support for Israel. It notes that Matisyahu has performed for pro-Israel U.S. groups, including APAC, the Friends of the IDF fundraising group, and Stand With Us, which works against anti-Semitism. In language that was frankly anti-Semitic, these people called on the Rialto Theater to cancel the show. The Tucson chapter of Jewish Voice for Peace, a group of deeply self-hating Jews who frankly should stop calling themselves Jewish and do us all a favor, amplified the cancellation call. Pro-Palestinian protests, including anti-Semitic chanting for Jewish genocide, have created frequent disruptions around the United States since the beginning of the Israel-Hamas war. In the end, the Rialto canceled the show. On Matisyahu's Instagram post, messages of solidarity poured in from many fans and other pro-Israel celebrities, including influencer Montana Tucker and the singer Regina Spector. Matisyahu lamented widespread tactics deployed by pro-Palestinian terrorist activists during this war. Tearing down posters of kidnapped children does not bring justice. Chanting genocidal slogans at Jews does not bring peace. Preventing fans of all ethnic and religious backgrounds from singing together in Santa Fe or Tucson does not bring peace, he said. In fact, it does the opposite. Matisyahu vowed to continue his tour for his new album, Hold the Fire, and to come back to Tucson in the future. I'm sorry you're denied a show. I love you all, he said. My band and I will be back. We will not respond to hate with more hate. We will be together soon. We will make music together again. We will sing together again one day soon. Well, how about now? Sometimes I lay under the moon. I thank God I'm breathing. And I pray, don't take me soon. Cause I am here for a reason. Sometimes in my tears I drown. But I never let it get me down. So when negativity surrounds, I know Children will pay one day, one day. 
Boy, you can see why pro-Palestinian terror supporters wouldn't want a guy singing about peace to perform because he is Jewish. One day, one day, perhaps, this anti-Semitic cancellation of true Jewish voices for peace, not self-hating ones, will finally end. Not now, unfortunately. Our guest this morning, Tammy Rossman-Benjamin, is the founder of the Amcha Initiative, documenting and fighting anti-Semitism on college campuses. Hear from her on this crucial issue where she is a leader when we come back in just a moment on Too Jewish. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen. 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, conservative, and orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, Our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. We are delighted to welcome to Two Jewish, Tammy Rossman Benjamin. She is the founder of the Amcha Initiative, a nonprofit that investigates, documents, and combats anti-Semitism at institutions of higher education, colleges and universities, uh, I guess probably community colleges too, all across the United States. Um, she is a, a faculty member for many years, a professor who got involved in this and has uh, also, by the way, a past winner of the Kohan Memorial Foundation Award. Good morning and welcome to Two Jewish. Good morning. It's wonderful to be back. Well, it's wonderful to have you, but it's kind of a bad time. Um, I mean, there's a good reason to have you on and it's not a good thing. Uh, tell us a little bit about kind of a brief overview of the situation of anti-Semitism on college campuses now. Right. Well, as probably everybody knows, um, when when after 10-7, um, things just went crazy, just an explosion of anti-Semitism on campuses across the country. But I want to say that on 10-6, we were logging, uh, we, had, we, we already had unprecedented number of incidents of campus anti-Semitism. So you can only imagine that when 10-7 hit, things just, things just went through the roof and went crazy. I mean, just not just in terms of the number of incidents, which according to Hillel International, I mean, we've kept track ourselves, but they're, they're, they're coming so fast and furiously, we actually don't have, you know, at this point, even accurate numbers, but Hillel International 
um, as it reported a 700% increase in acts of campus anti-Semitism from the same time, uh, you know, from 10-7 onward last year, um, which is just insane. And it's not just in terms of the number of incidents, it's also in terms of the intensity of those incidents. So, for instance, you know, we're seeing, uh, 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 we had two incidents of assault um, in in the months in, in 2022. Physical assault. Physical right. assault. We we hadn't seen that much <laughs> of physical assault. Yeah, two assaults assault. in a year is really nothing, but it, it that's not true that anymore, have, is it? That we love is it's not much, but mo- because most of the anti-Semitic incidents were were verbal in nature, were graffiti and and you know and and shouts and they, but not not very much physical assault. But we, you know, within the same time period of about six weeks, this is just in, in a six-week period. It wasn't two assaults in a year. It was two assaults in about a six or seven-week period. But in the same period, post October seventh, we saw twenty-two incidents. So a huge leap in the intensity we saw in a not ju- and not just in every category of of, you know, uh, targeting Jewish students for harm, including bullying and intimidation, death threats, lots of death threats, and and um, um, vandalism in every category of, of harm to Jewish students that we log and keep track of. We've seen enormous rises uh, across the country. So that's the, that's the really the bad, and also plus, I mean, you, if you if you think about Jewish students who are traumatized, absolutely, just like the rest of the Jewish world post ten seven, but who are traumatized by the, you know, by uh, by an attack on Jews unprecedented in their lifetime, and then to have to listen to their professors, their fellow students, even question whether there was an attack whether there was a massacre or rape or beheadings, saying that was just Zionist propaganda. It's, a, it's been trauma upon trauma for Jewish students, and it's really, it's really quite unprecedented, and that's really, that's really the bad news. Well, uh, it is bad news. Now, there is some good news. We will talk about that uh, when we come back in a moment here on Two Jewish with Tammy Rossman Benjamin of the Amacha Initiative dealing with anti-Semitism, um, not just anti-Zionism, but, but really anti-Semitic attacks all across the country on Jewish students. When we come back in a moment here on Two Jewish. Beit Simcha, the House of Joy, a wonderful Jewish synagogue in northwest Tucson in the Catalina Foothills, celebrates a fabulous array of services, classes, and events this winter and spring. Established by passionate, caring congregants and me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, Beit Simcha is a vibrant, vital community that strives every day to serve God with joy. Progressive congregation, northwest Tucson and the Foothills, Beit Simcha is open to everyone throughout the metropolitan area, providing weekly Shabbat services, youth and adult education, Education Academy courses, social justice opportunities, outreach, and cultural Jewish programming. Join us in person for Shabbat services or come on Facebook Live. Go to our website, BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A-Tucson.org. We welcome members and guests in our sanctuary. Call 520-276-5675. Religious schools available for school-aged children or grandchildren. Join us in our fabulous Hebrew school, Barnbot Mitzvah programs, 
Torah Tykes Experience Confirmation and Teen Programs in a fun, relaxed setting with great Jewish learning. Go to BeitSimchaTucson.org, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson.org. Coming up fast, join us Sunday, March 24th, Purim for Adults with nationally renowned comedian Rabbi Bob Alper. It'll be at 6.30 p.m., a fabulous evening of humor, music, hamantashen, drinks, and Purim joy. Beit Simcha services, classes, and events are open to everyone. Come in person Friday night or Saturday morning or both. Friday night, 6.30 p.m. services with a wonderful Oneg Shabbat afterwards. Saturday morning, Torah studies at 9 a.m. Services are at 10 a.m. You can also come to services on our Facebook page, Beit Simcha Tucson, B-E-I-T-S-I-M-C-H-A Tucson. Our Adult Education Academy classes are live and on Zoom. You can access those through the website, BeitSimchaTucson.org. For more information about Beit Simcha, to come to services, religious school, Torah Tykes programs, bar and bat mitzvah, confirmation, high school programs, fabulous array of adult education, academy courses, live and on Zoom, and all of our services in person or on Facebook, go to BeitSimchaTucson.org or call 520-276-5675. That's 520-276-5675, BeitSimchaTucson.org. Join me, Rabbi Sam Kohan, in the fastest-growing and most dynamic Jewish congregation in all of Southern Arizona. If you got a question, comment, compliment, or criticism, a kvetch or a kvel, please email us at 2JewishRadio18 at gmail.com, T-O-O-JewishRadio18 at gmail. Or go to our website, 2JewishRadio.com. You can hear all past and present shows through the website. Streaming us from there or downloading us from the Apple iTunes Store is a very popular Jewish podcast. Top 10 in America, according to Moment Magazine, over 200,000 downloads on Podbean. And now on Spotify, too. Post a rating, review 2Jewish wherever you listen to us. Those comments help. We welcome our expert on the international Jewish scene, Tom Price. Good morning, Tom. Good morning, Rabbi. Tom, I, I know you're going to lead a, a trip to Georgia, and I don't mean where Atlanta is the big city. I mean the Georgia in uh, what used to be the Soviet Union. Um, there's a Jewish community there that goes way back. Tell us about it a little bit, if you would. It is a very special country with a very special Jewish community. Um the only country with which it has anything at all in common is Armenia. And what it has in common with Armenia is not language. It's not alphabet. It's not even exactly religion because both Armenia and Georgia were the first countries to convert to Christianity on a national basis still in the third century. So long before the Council of Nicaea, which was 323 and long before the Roman Empire became Christian, um, both the kingdoms of Georgia and the kingdom of Armenia had churches with their own heads who are called Catholicos, um, although that's the English word. I have no idea what it is in Georgian. Um, I can't correct you on that score. I'm sorry. I know that Armenia has its own equivalent to the Vatican City, which is called Etchmiadzin, which is the sort of clerical capital of Armenian Christianity all over the world. Um, I don't know whether Georgia has the same, but I do know that 
Georgia has a large and ancient Jewish community. And if you go to downtown Tbilisi, which is the capital, and we're not talking about remote communities of mountain Jews or little lost tribes on the fringes. We're talking about mainstream urban people who live and work downtown. And in the center of Tbilisi, there are several active synagogues. There's a Chabad house. There's a kosher restaurant called the King Solomon. Hmm. I mean, it, it is surprisingly well-developed. And even after lots of emigration to Israel and also to other parts of the former Soviet Union, there's still a very solid Jewish community there. And my first memory of that community was in the very early 70s during the Brezhnev years when I went with three friends who they were all at the uh, Hebrew University for junior year abroad. And we met during their winter break. We met in Afghanistan and we traveled up through Central Asia and then gradually across to Baku, Tbilisi, Kiev, Moscow, and Leningrad, as it was then called. Um, and the only place that Jews were not af visibly afraid or reluctant to meet with us publicly was Georgia, huh. where it happened, we went to synagogue, there was a bar mitzvah. The bar mitzvah family invited us home for lunch after the service on Saturday morning. It was pretty amazing, and it was like, the Georgians have always had a stubbornly independent spirit. They very much do things their own way, and that's true of Georgian Jewry as well. They have their own nusach, their own traditions, and it's not part of any larger grouping in the Jewish world. Like, it's not really one of the Eidot HaMizrach. It's not Sephardic by any means. It's not Ashkenazic. It's sui generis. Very interesting. And it's still an active Jewish community. Absolutely. Well, uh, I, I think most of us are unaware. I do um, actually have a, a congregant, 20-something, um, who went and spent time in Georgia and really loved it and thought the food was great and the experience was terrific. And it's a beautiful country by all accounts. Totally. Tom, thanks so much. We will talk next week. I look forward to it. It's time now for our old Jewish joke of the week. Jewish humor, your Bubby and Zadie knew. Brought to you by Too Jewish as a public service. Today, a classic Western Jewish joke. One day, a gorgeous woman gets on the bus, clearly distraught, and sits down next to a guy. She's visibly upset, finally can contain herself no longer. She turns to the guy next to her and says, I just saw my therapist. He says, I have a big problem. What's the problem, the guy asks. She says, I can't tell you. I, I don't even know you. And the guy says, well, sometimes it's good to tell your problems to a perfect stranger on a bus. So the girl says, well, my therapist just told me I'm a nymphomaniac and I only like Jewish cowboys. She gives a big sigh and says, boy, that is a relief. By the way, now that you know, my name is Susan. And the guy says, hi, Susan. My name is Bucky Goldstein. That was the old Jewish joke of the week, special feature of Two Jewish, just for you. You should live and be well, especially during Rodeo Week. And now a word of Torah. This week we read the traumatic Torah portion of Kitisa, Story of the Golden Calf. 
You know, I always enjoy when this falls on Rodeo Weekend. The story goes that while Moses is up on Mount Sinai receiving the Ten Commandments, the Israelites start to worry he's never coming back. And so while God is carving the words, you shall have no other gods besides me, nor make any image of them into a stone tablet, the faithless Israelite people persuade his brother Aaron to make them an idol of gold, a calf, that they can now call their new god. Pleased with the result, they worship it and then throw a big party, a bacchanal, a carnival. Mardi Gras in the Sinai. Coming down the mountain, Joshua and Moses hear the noise from the camp. Joshua is astonished, thinking it must be the sound of battle, but Moses knows what a party sounds like. And when he sees all the cavorting and the newly chosen people worshipping a golden idol of a calf, he throws down these sacred stone tablets of the commandments, shattering them. The music and dancing stop. It is a shocking scene. For the rabbis, this is one of the most dramatic and distressing portions in the whole Torah. The problem is acute. According to the text, our people witnessed divine power at the ten plagues, were personally saved on the shore of the Sea of Reeds by God, got the direct revelation at Sinai in short, experienced God more than any other group in history ever has, and almost immediately turned around and rejected God in order to worship a cow made out of their own jewelry. In Rabbinic Midrash, this week's events are called the Maseha Egel, the awful story of the calf. How could a people, given such a clear set of signs and wonders, including direct revelation and verbal commands, only follow the true God for 40 days before pursuing such a ridiculous bovine substitute? The answer lies in our own makeup. We enjoy spectacle, are impressed by it, awed by it even, but as soon as it's gone, its effects linger a very short time indeed. What makes us tick as human beings, what keeps us in line, is the very dailiness of regular rules and schedules, the kinds of laws and rituals that are very much a part of practical Judaism. We need both ritual and structure, and until these are provided in a coherent way, we flounder, even disastrously so, as we did at the time of the golden calf. Without a way to connect to God regularly, without prayer services and a personal commitment to doing mitzvot each day, we quickly lose our ability to connect to the holy. And instead, we chase gold or idols or both. We become obsessed with our own pursuits, choose our own idols of gold. We need more than grand ideas or sweeping spirituality. We need religion a Jewish grounding in practice and experience, or we aren't able even to remain ethical. Without that, we all worship golden calves of every kind. When we come back in a moment on to Jewish, our guest, Tammy Rossman Benjamin, tells us just how serious the problem of anti-Semitism has become on college campuses. Find out when she rejoins us in a moment on Two Jewish. We continue with our Two Jewish update on news of Jews around the world with commentary.
A major rift between Brazil and Israel opened last week after Brazil's president, Luiz Inácio Lula da Silva, known as Lula, likened Israel's war in Gaza to the Holocaust. Ties between the two countries became strained last year when da Silva, the left-wing politician known as Lula, who has long been a critic of Israel, narrowly defeated Jair Bolsonaro, a right-wing ally of Israel, and regained the presidency. Lula previously was president from 2003 to 2010, a period that included the first trip by a Brazilian head of state to Jerusalem since 1876. In response to Lula's evil comments, Israel banned him from visiting, and Brazil recalled its ambassador to Israel. The fallout over the president's comments came after he spoke at the 37th African Union Summit in Ethiopia. While there, Lula accused Israel of committing genocide and waging a war against women and children in Gaza. What is happening in the Gaza Strip with the Palestinian people has no parallel in other historical moments. In fact, it did exist when Hitler decided to kill the Jews, he said, talking to reporters. It's not a war of soldiers against soldiers. It's a war between a highly prepared army and women and children. Oh, yeah, never mind all those Hamas soldiers who have been shooting back. Lula, whose foreign minister denounced Hamas's October 7th attack on Israel, also emphasized the importance of condemning Hamas's attacks targeting Israeli civilians. The Israeli government responded swiftly. We will not forget or forgive, said Israel's foreign minister, Israel Katz. This is a serious anti-Semitic attack. In my name, in the name of the citizens of Israel, tell President Lula he is persona non grata in Israel until he takes it back. Katz summoned Brazil's ambassador to Israel for a formal reprimand. It was delivered at Yad Vashem, Israel's national memorial in Jerusalem, to the six million European Jews murdered by the Nazis during the Holocaust. Afterwards, Lula recalled the ambassador, Federico Meyer, to Brazil, though the Brazilian embassy in Israel does remain open. Meanwhile, Hamas embraced Lula's remarks and conveyed gratitude to the Brazilian president for drawing parallels between the Holocaust and the ongoing war in Gaza against brutal terrorists. Sources with knowledge of the diplomatic rift told Israeli media that Brazil does not plan to walk back or apologize for Lula's remarks. Lula has drawn criticism from Israel and Jews in the past. In 2009, he warmly welcomed former Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad, the notorious Holocaust denier whose regime persecuted and murdered minorities and critics. That visit drew international criticism. A year later, 2010, Lula made that historic trip to Israel but refused to visit Theodor Herzl's grave on the itinerary which was there for visiting foreign officials in honor of the 150th anniversary of the birth of Herzl, the father of Zionism. Lula did lay a wreath at terrorist Yasser Arafat's grave in Ramallah. In the final month of Lula's administration, his government recognized a Palestinian state. In other news, in Europe, the top rights court ruled that bans of ritual slaughter, including kashrut in parts of Belgium, can stand. That ended the hopes of Jewish advocates, who said the bans were an unfair infringement on the Jewish practice of keeping kosher. Two of Belgium's three regions banned slaughter without stunning in 2017 and 18, saying the practice was cruel to animals. Stunning before slaughter is barred in Boshchita, Jewish ritual slaughter for kashrut, and Zaviha, the Muslim method for slaughtering animals for halal meat. In recent years, opposition to Shechita and Zaviha has widened beyond animal rights activists to right-wing parties 
who promoted bans as part of their agenda to reduce the presence of Islam and perhaps also Judaism. The Court of the European Union dealt Jewish community leaders a major defeat by upholding these bans in 2021. Israel's ambassador to Belgium called the ruling then catastrophic and a blow to Jewish life in Europe. Last year, however, the EU's anti-Semitism envoy invited Jews and Muslims to discuss meat production with EU officials. Some of the Jewish attendees characterized that as progress towards ensuring religious freedom. But now the European Court of Human Rights, not affiliated with the EU, dashed those hopes, upholding the bans in a ruling that closely comports with the 2021 EU ruling. That ruling does not apply to all of Europe, but is seen as an important precedent for other countries considering bans on ritual slaughter. Restrictions on fundamental aspects of Jewish religious freedom of expression, coupled with a background of massive increases in anti-Semitic attacks on Jewish communities, lead us to seriously consider whether Jews have a future in Europe, said Rabbi Ariel Muzikant, head of the European Jewish Congress. We are already seeing attempts across Europe to follow this Belgium ban. Jewish communities in Europe now more than ever need the protection of national governments and pan-European organizations to ensure thousands of years of Jewish life on this continent do not come to an abrupt end. The bans add Belgium to a number of EU countries where ritual slaughter, including kashrut, is illegal, including Denmark, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, and Slovenia. Finally, a Russian court upheld the awful detention of Wall Street Journal reporter Evan Gershkowitz, who has been wrongfully detained as a supposed spy. Vladimir Putin, the president, that is, brutal dictator of Russia, said he is open to a prisoner exchange for the journalist's release in an awful interview conducted by the hmm, former Fox News host Tucker Carlson. And that's the two Jewish news of Jews around the world. We welcome back to Two Jewish, our guest this morning. Tammy Rossman Benjamin is the founder and head of the Amacha Initiative, which documents and deals with anti-Semitic activity on U.S. campuses, universities, colleges, and so on all across the country. Um, we talked earlier, and the the increase is so dramatic that it, it's almost impossible to measure because it seems to there, there's more incidents every day on a wide variety of campuses. Um, talk, talk a little bit about the impact on students who go to college, uh, really not for political reasons, right? It's a, they're continuing their education. There's all kinds of socialization going on and, and hearing that, um, they're not safe places for Jews right now. Right. Right. I mean, as I, as I said previously, it's not just, it's not, there is, there is trauma just at what happened in the world, <laughs> an incident that, like, as I said, was, was, um, the most, uh, the, the worst, most deadliest attack on Jews, uh, in their lifetime. And since the Holocaust, really, in my lifetime as well, but in their lifetime, just to put, to put, if you want to put yourselves in their shoes, how Jewish students are feeling. So they're already feeling traumatized. But one of the things that we found, which is, which which actually really exacerbates the trauma tremendously um, is is the fact that 
the 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 way in which I mean you you have an event in the world that affects a particular population of students. For instance, when George Floyd was murdered, it, it absolutely affected the African American students on campus. Or when um, there was a spate of of violence against Asian Americans um, and murders in Atlanta, that also had. Um, a, a deep impact on a particular student community, the Asian American student community. And what you saw in those cases, and I know this because we actually did a study looking at a hundred campuses and how they responded to their student traumas after particular events that impacted particular um, groups on that campus. And we looked at how universities responded post-George Floyd, and we looked at how universities responded um, after the spate of Asian American violence. And what we saw was really robust responses, a great amount of sympathy, you know, statements being made and resources being provided um, and and efforts to, you know, and, and commitment to efforts to combat racism, to combat anti-Asian violence. We saw across the board on virtually every one of the hundred campuses that we looked at. But those same campuses, how they responded to Jewish trauma. And, and there's no doubt that what happened in Israel was not just about Israelis. It wasn't just about, a, you know, a particular member, you know, citizens of a particular country. It was about all Jews. Well, so that the issue, uh, it seems to me, the universities have all, really almost every university, I think, in the country has some kind of means of dealing with bigotry against uh, people of color, blacks, Latinos, against LGBTQ plus students, microaggressions, and so on. But somehow anti-Semitism is not classed as a bigotry in any of these systems, is it? Well, it's a question. That's the, that's the problem. The problem is that nobody knows how to deal with Jews. <laughs> the problem is what is Jewish identity? The problem is who is a Jew? It's a big problem when the way in which you dole out protection is based on identity. My, my problem is not that Jewish students aren't fitting in to a particular identity category that would give them the same protection as other identity groups. That's not the problem, I think. The real problem is that they have to fit into any category before they get the protection that every single student deserves. So once the problem is really the fact that the way in which protection is doled out on campuses is linked to identity. So it's not just the Jewish students, or there's a question mark for Jewish students, you know, if they're being attacked because of Israel or because of Zionism. And then the question is, well, is anti-Zionism, anti-Semitism, and is Zionism really a part of Judaism? And all of these questions come up, and we say, well, yes, it is. Here's our definition. And they say, well, we don't accept your definition. And there's a big fight over a definition that actually incites even more anti-Semitism. But again, the question is, why should a university administrator, or why should, why should we in the Jewish world have to depend on the definition that a, that, a, that a university administrator has to pull up on his computer before Jewish students get protection from, from, from behavior that hurts them? 
Why should any student on a college campus where their parents are paying $80,000 in tuition or the public is paying, you know, footing the bill for everybody, why should any student not be treated the same if if there are acts that target them for harm? And there's no other student group, not one, that that has anywhere near the sustained, well-coordinated campaigns of harassment directed at them as Jews, as 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 Jewish students. So, Tammy, a, a lot of us are aware of the problem. Um, I, I mean, in my own one of my alma maters, UCLA, they were chanting, "Israel, Israel, you can't hide. We want Jewish genocide." Uh, and, and UCLA is far from the most politically active campus in America. Um, what do we do about it? How do we address it? Because the problem is enormous. I think we have a solution. It's just that there has to be the will to adopt it. We have got to get beyond identity when we talk about keeping students safe. It can't. There cannot be two standards of behavior and of protection for students on campus. It can't be you are protected as a student if you fit into the right box, right, that's protected under federal anti-discrimination law, then we'll protect you because we have to. The government says we have to, so that's what we'll do. But if you don't fit in, what was you? So a student, it's not just Jewish students. What about the Christian Zionist students or or the Republican students or the just the decent human being students who want to stand up with their Jewish allies and they get hurt for doing so. They can't claim protection as an identity group. So but my, but but the whole and so we 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 we're, we as a Jewish community we think, well, how can we get a Jewish students the protection as a protected identity group? I'm saying this whole way of thinking about this is not helpful for anybody, but it's especially not helpful for Jewish students. Because if I mean we live in a country that's based on the idea that everybody is equal, that all people are created equal. Right? We're all the Philanel team, all of us. Right? And that, and that we, and that we have a right to be, especially when it comes to our safety, and that includes our emotional safety, and our, and our freedom. We have a First Amendment in our country, which allows us the freedom to express ourselves, express our identity, express our religion, express our beliefs. But if you're harassed, you cannot do that. So ultimately what we need to do, and I'm, and I think it's not just a change in attitude or culture, it has to be a change in policies and laws. You know, we've seen Congress address this to a degree, and we saw the resignation of a couple of Ivy League presidents. That's a drop in the bucket. It is a start. Um, how- well, I don't think so. I don't think so, actually. I actually think it's not going to do a a darn bit of difference getting rid of one president and getting another because the problem isn't the president. As I said, the problem is systemic. The problem is based in university policies that do not treat students equally. And we also did a study, our organization looked at the same hundred schools and we looked at their policies and we saw, and it was called, you know, falling through the cracks, how Jewish students aren't protected under university policy. But those policies ultimately derive and are compliant with federal law. And that's the problem. Right now, federal law does not allow for the protection of all students. 
applies. It only applies to universities to to protect students because of their identity or the ones that fit into the particular identity group. That's what has to change federally. If there really is a will on the, in the federal government by the same by the same legislators that really gave those presidents a run for their money on that on that day. They need to look to federal law that actually creates the inequality that is allowing Jewish students, that is allowing anti-Semitism to flourish. Because it's not just that Jewish students, it's not just that the university doesn't see what's happening or doesn't feel their requirements to actually protect Jewish students. It's that once they make the decision that Jewish students aren't a protected category, then that gives a green light to the perpetrators to keep to keep ramping it up. And that's what they're doing. That's what we're seeing. Because there are no consequences for their behavior. There are no consequences for saying, you know, from the river to the sea, Palestine will be fleeing Intifada, Intifada and, you know, let's even kill the Jews. I mean, yes, it gets people upset and they'll make statements, but, but if, if you said anywhere, anything near such a thing to, let's say, an African American student, you would, you would be out when you're, you know, you would be out in a nanosecond as a, as you would be expelled as a student, or you would be fired as a professor. We all know that. We all see cases of that. They were brought up in those congressional hearings, cases of faculty members who went against the orthodoxy of you know, the current, you know, very left-wing orthodoxy on most college campuses. And what happened to them is they were fired. And that was the point of a lot of the congressional hearing was to, was to you know, promote this, was to show that there was a double standard. Those words, double standard, came out quite a bit. Now, they were looking at the double standard to conservatives. I'm I'm looking and caring about the double standard to Jewish students. Yeah, they, it ultimately right. comes from the same source. Yeah, this is not about a political choice. It's about treating people as human beings and giving them their full human rights. But unfortunately, right now, it, it's it's in our law right now, our civil rights law and the, the the policies and the DEI offices that are established to ensure compliance of the institution with those policies and with those laws, things are every the first filter is always identity. And I'm saying that's that's just not going to help Jewish students. It's right. not. We're well out of time. <laughs> Tammy, where can people go to find out more about Amcha and the work that you're doing to raise awareness? They and I absolutely guess should change. go to our website. We actually have the, the only publicly accessible database of all of the incidents that we can get our hands on that 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 are happening in right. anti-Semitism is happening. Lots of information, ways to get involved, um, investigative reports. It's all there. Amchainitiative.org. So it's A M C H A. Amchainitiative.org. Tammy, thank you so much, and continue to do this great, important, and um, unfortunately completely necessary work. When Thank we, you. When we come back on Two Jewish, we'll hear about next week's guest. Get a final musical playout. The stories we share last a lifetime and are passed down from generation to generation, known for our compassionate commitment to the families we serve. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery has faithfully served the Tucson community and the Jewish community for over 100 years. 
We help thousands of families plan and carry out celebrations of loved ones in unique and special ways and assist them in sharing those lifetimes of stories meaningfully. The most beautiful and tranquil final resting place in all of Southern Arizona, Evergreen's tall pines shade peaceful grassy fields. You can count on Evergreen for superior service and the highest degree of integrity. Our informative, well-trained staff is here to assist you with a full range of on-site services. Call Evergreen, 520-888-7470, 520-888-7470. While we serve the whole community, our experience conducting Jewish funerals, Reform, Conservative, and Orthodox is second to none. We have sections dedicated to all religious faiths, can help you arrange for your future needs or your immediate ones. Whether you choose to hold a traditional funeral service or a completely individualized ceremony, either in person or online or both, our goal is to help you create a meaningful, personalized service based upon your unique needs in a place of reflection, tradition, and serenity. Evergreen Mortuary and Cemetery offers the best to the community and to you. Call 520-888-7470. To speak to a family advisor at Evergreen, call 520-888-7470. Thanks for being here with us this morning on Two Jewish with me, Rabbi Sam Kohan. Join us next week. Our guest will be Rebecca Sugar, author of the new debut novel, Everything is a Little Broken. And join us, Congregation Beit Simcha, every Friday night. Services in Oneg Shabbat at 6.30 p.m. Saturday morning, 9 a.m. Torah study, 10 a.m. services, Torah reading in Kiddush, in person and on our Facebook page. And sign up for Purim for Grownups, March 24th, featuring the great comedian Rabbi Bob Alper. Our play out today comes from the Jewish group Beged Kefet. Two Sephardic melodies for Amen, Shem No Ra, and Yahalalu Shimo. My friends, have a great end of Rodeo Weekend. Shavua Tov, a good week, a healthy week, and a week we pray profoundly of peace. Amen, 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 Shem No Amen, Amen, Amen. Amen, 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 Shem No Amen, Amen, Amen. Sponsored by two Jewish radio programs, Tucson, Arizona.